All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Warrior Mindset and Motivation Podcast, also known as WM2. I'm your host, Eric Castillo. And here I got a guy. He's he's a pretty cool dude. I watch his videos on the Facebook and uh, his name's just Justin, right? Is that how you say it? No, it's still Justin. pronounced Justin. My dad was Justin? and couldn't draw a straight line, so it's spelled wrong. Oh. <laughs> I, I tussled that. I was like, Justin, Justin. Yeah, a lot of my friends call me Justin, They've and I've kind of embraced that. And uh, anytime I do like um, an audition out here, I'll, I'll just say Justin, and then they're like, oh, like Gaston? And I'm like, yeah, only I'm the good guy. I let girls read it. You know, if they want oh. <laughs> well, that's cool. Well, he's he's got uh, quite an ex- extensive background of uh, – history in the military and stuff that he's done and seen and been able to get through some things. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about those things today, you know, because this podcast is all about uh, showing other veterans that no matter how dark or how deep they feel in that black abyss, that there is a way to get out. And some, you know, you got it. You only can get out, but there's others like me and Justin here and Drew and Jessica, who I spoke to last week uh, that you can get out of it. It's just, you got to put forth the effort, but there is help. And people will help you, but you have to put forth the work to get out. So, uh, Justin, if you want to go ahead and give everybody a little bit of a background about you real quick, about, you know, your yourself, that'd be awesome. Yeah, cool. So I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York. I joined the Army at the young age of 17. I got my parents' consent. Um, this was after 9-11, so this is post-9-11. I was a junior in high school when 9-11 uh, kicked off. And I'd already thought about the military and the Army. Uh, I had a buddy who uh, kind of he was going to join and he kind of like showed me like what the army had to offer. He was kind of he did more more work than the recruiter did, maybe. Um, and like after 9-11, when 9-11 hit, that was like kind of the deciding factor of me joining. So uh, I got my parents consent because they were against it. My my dad was in the Navy for a little bit. I think he went AWOL or something. I don't know. He doesn't really talk about it. Um, yeah, so he was like, he swam from the ship all the way back to Buffalo. Is wow. what really happened. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> um, he was like, I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> no. But, uh, he, he was kind of against it because he, when he joined the, the Navy, what part of his reasons for joining was to get away from Buffalo and like his, the, the people and friends that he grew up with because they, they were like very heavy into drugs and, and making, making a lot of bad, bad decisions and, bad life choices. So he thought joining the military would be good for him. But when he got to the Navy, there was even more of that. So he I think about AWOL and, and got chaptered out or whatever. Um, and then my grandfather was, served in uh, World War II. Um, and my other grandfather was in Vietnam. So like, uh, I didn't really grow up knowing them. So they didn't have any like um, influence on, on my decision to join. It was really like, my buddy Matt and and nine eleven, and then um, I had to convince my my parents because yeah, like I was saying, they they were kind of against it because they're like, you, you know, you're going to go to war, right? And I'm like, well, I mean, yeah. So listen, guys, you can you could sign this piece of paper now, or you can wait till I'm t- uh, I'm eighteen on the twenty sixth of July, and I'm just going to sign myself away. So they're like, well, if this is what you want to do, we'll support you. So they signed the paperwork, and off off I was. Um, I did eight years total in the military, uh, four deployments overseas, three to Iraq, two to Afghanistan. I served with the 101st. I was with the Rakhassans, 187th uh, at, at the 101st, and then moved to the 10th Mountain Division where I was on the PSD team for the battalion, and then I was on the PSD team for the division. So I was uh, I was taking generals Bannister, Dahl, 
and um, Terry to and from uh, their their locations in Afghanistan to to do all of, all of their political meetings and all that stuff. Um, and those deployments were a little a little uh, not 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 as hectic as the other ones, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I I, sir, I my initial po- uh, contract was for four years. Um, I did I did four years jail and then like military confinement and then uh i had to fight to stay in the military i i re-enlisted for two years in needs of the army that's when i went to fort drum and i was really thinking about re-enlisting um i had to extend my contract for a year to get promoted to staff sergeant and then i extended my contract again for the deployment for that last deployment where i was on the general's uh psd team because at that point, they they had gotten rid of stop loss. Um, Obama administration passed that uh, if if you're no more stop loss, but if you're um, if your unit's deploying, you get an extra like five hundred bucks a month on top of your hazard duty pay and all that stuff. And I was like, I'll do that, and maybe I'll reenlist again. But then some other stuff happened. And I was just I was just like, you know what? I made the decision. I'm just gonna get get out and do something different, pursue a different uh, avenue. And that led me to acting. So nice. And the same. Uh, actually, yours is kind of like mine. I joined at seventeen, also, um, but it was prior to nine eleven. Okay. Uh, it, it was in two thousand, and I joined at seventeen. And my parents was like, our, my mom was like, "Are you sure this is what you want to do?" And I was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, I graduated in June and I turned eighteen in August. So you I mean you either do it now in December." And my recruiter was cool. He got me a, a U.S. Army Reserve ID card. Oh, nice. So like. Yes, and I was a PV one, even though I was going in as an E three, but I got that that said E one, and I remember it was awesome because I thought I was so cool, and I actually went to a strip joint <laughs> at seventeen years old, and they let me in, and I didn't have to pay for anything. The guy goes, "Oh, we got a military guy in the house," and I was like, "Oh shit!" So it was a free lap dances, free drinks. I got home. I thought my mother was gonna kill me because I got home at like three in the morning, you know. <laughs> With yeah. my ID card, just all like, look at me, I'm active duty, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, so that was kind of neat. And then at 9-11 happened, and for us, um, we had actually just started a two-week battalion uh, FTX, a field training exercise. Just started. We were like on day three. And since I'm artillery, our platoon sergeants are called smokes. And our smoke walks up to us, and he goes, hey, guys, you know, we have to go back into the garrison because uh, there's been an attack at the Twin Towers, and they're calling everybody in. So we're like, oh, okay, cool scenario sweet all right so where are we going to are we going down this way or are we going where are we doing he's like no you're no i'm serious everybody's packing up from the field and i was at fort bragg and mm-hmm. he's like everybody's packing up and we're like we kind of we're like wait are you serious and he's like yes i'm fucking serious and we're like oh okay so it took us four and a half hours to get back onto the installation because they pulled everyone out the field oh, and wow. then uh, yeah and then um that was in 2000 uh no, 2001 then uh, two years later, boom, to Afghanistan to with a uh, seventh group special forces to go do stuff over there. And like you, I had mine was reversed from you. I have three to Afghanistan, one to Iraq. So we're we're flip flops. So I'm sure we crossed paths somewhere in those times. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, uh, and I seen that you were um, I know you had wrote me, you had went through some things. Now, how um, I know for me, when I had my first uh, exp- uh, I guess I'll call it a life life or death experience where it literally was like on the verge of being uh massacred i know that changed something in me like 
um, it, it changes your your brain. It changes everything about you because you you don't see life the same no more. And mm-hmm. uh, I was wondering, with some of the things that you've gone through, what what did that do to you when that happened? Um, I mean, like I still deal with some of these stuff, some of the stuff, and I I go to like counseling out here at uh, Culver City Vet Center. Um, before I had the counselor I have now. I had a uh, Vietnam vet co- counselor who had, who was a combat um, veteran as well, who had seen some stuff. So it was very awesome to find him and speak with him because like, it didn't feel like counseling. Now I'm like the counselor I have, it, it, it kind of feels more textbooky and it's, it's not, it's not that satisfying, but I, I still do it because I, I know it's important to, to get it out. And that's my outlet. That's like, uh, obviously comedy too is, is a huge out- outlet for me. Um, but yeah, like I remember the one of the first things that happened overseas um, when during my second deployment was like the my second deployment was the worst because my first deployment, I was only there for a few months. I caught the tail end of it. I just got out of basic training and um, reported to the 101st, got assigned to the Rakasans. They're like, you're going over. And, I, and we were like, OK, well, obviously. But we got there and they're like, I don't know why they sent you over here. We're, we're coming. We're going home in like four months or whatever. It's <laughs> and um, so I, I missed I, I missed Fallujah. I wasn't I was in Fallujah. Um, but maybe that's a good thing, too. Maybe you know, if I if I just made that, I'm, I, I wouldn't be here. But yeah, second deployment, we were uh, we were in Samara, Iraq, uh, Fabras, Mora, and we had a we had a secure MSR Tampa. So we were on like a three day schedule of three days pulling um, security out at the cops, three days patrolling up and down the the main supply route, and then three days of missions. And if a mission got canceled, that was your day off. So it was like very hectic schedule, uh, very, very little downtime for us. Um, so the one of the first things that happened, we had to respond to an ID blast that went off and hit another unit. And we reacted to that from the cop, the combat outpost that we were at. And the, the IED caused the turret to like take off the gunners, like half of his head. So our medic was keeping him alive. His brain was exposed and I'm pulling security in the middle of the street with no cover and concealment. And just mm-hmm. like looking back at that, at that kid that who, who he ended up dying, um, didn't know him, but he was wearing the same uniform as me that kind of really opened, opened up my eyes, even though like we'd, we'd received fire before and mortars before, but like that up close and personal to uh, a United States soldier who lost his life, who was, um, you know, whether or not I knew him or not, still a brother to me, you know, very, very difficult to deal with. uh, Very, very difficult to, to like process. And like, obviously I have like nightmares about that sometimes. Um, Even, even with uh, one of the other things that happened, we reacted to another ID explosion that it was meant for our, our guys. But in 2005, 2006, that's when we started working with the Iraqi army more. Um, the Iraqi army, were, they were on patrol too, but they were behind us. But they, for some reason, were like, oh, let's, let's pass these guys. So they passed us. We let them pass, pass us up. And they're, in, they're not in up-armored Humvees. They're in, uh, they're in pickup trucks. Mm-hmm. And this pickup truck uh, received the IED blast. Everybody, one, everyone, everyone, but one person made it out. 
Uh, one of their guys had like one of his legs blown off. So we had to tourniquet his leg, but one dude was burning alive inside unconscious. So like he wasn't screaming or anything, but I remember the smell of burning flesh, uh, burning hair and his friend who didn't speak English, but I could tell he, he ran up to me and approached me. It's, and it's just like, you're in, you're caught in a situation that's so like helpless. There's nothing you can do, but for some reason, I remember like the, the thing that haunts me a lot about it is like, there's nothing I could do to help your burning friend. We didn't have, uh, we didn't have the um, fire extinguishers in the back of our, our trucks. I think we just used it for another one and we weren't getting supply. Um, we weren't getting enough re- refill of supply of that. Uh, and it's just like they, the way he looked at me as if I was, as if I was, I was some kind of superhero and could help his friend because they, for whatever, whatever, like, uh, I don't know, maybe cartoons that this guy watched growing up or whatever, like was instilled in his head from his media. Like, you know, the United States is here to like help you guys out. Um, I don't know. That was like one of the, definitely one of the things that like that sticks with me a lot, you know? Um, there, and there's a bunch of, like, I can go on and on with these stories, man. Like, uh, it was rough over there. Um, and yeah, it's like, you know, there unfortunate events that happened where it turned out to be, uh, innocent people who were getting, getting shot up, um, innocent civilians, but they were making just really dumb decisions. Cause we'd been there for a few years already. And now, now they're like, I don't know, they're I don't know, pushing the, or testing, testing what where our trigger line is going to be and stuff like that and then end up getting shot up because they weren't paying attention to the laser uh, signals or paying attention to like the um the warning shots or whatever like it's uh, there's a lot of yeah, lot they're of pushing fun. the boundaries it seems like they're kind of just seeing what they can get away with and i mean for all and this and it's a position for us it's like for all we know is that could just simply be like a decoy or yeah. it could just be some it could be just someone saying yep I'm going to Allah today, so I'm about to push the line to see how far they go because someone else is watching them. You know, some mm-hmm. insurgents watching what what our limits are, what our lines are, what's our escalation of force, so that way then they can penetrate it. So, yeah. and, it, and it's kind of hard because you kind of have to tell yourself that, but at the same time, you don't really know. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard. There's one instance, um, even after all, like, uh, or like during, during that second deployment where we set it, we had set up a cordon and we we're like doing a, a, a small like search of, of people in the area, um, testing their hands for like bomb making materials or whatever. And we we're in this like small little bodega or, uh, or whatever you want to call it. And there's a, it could have been a, a VBID that was approaching and coming in. And I got reprimanded for not shooting the guy for, because he, he'd crossed the trigger line, but I could see his face through the, through the, the windshield and he wasn't like it wasn't he he was just like not paying attention and that's why he fucking crossed it and he was like fucking uh he was just going to get his groceries for the day that's what his, that's what his thing was and he was just like do, 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 do. like obviously if his face had a different um gesture on it or whatever and i could see like he was like fucking hateful and, and malicious and targeting us he would have yeah, i would have opened fire you know um but i made the i was able to positively identifying this guy first, which is something that they were harping on too. That's 
2006 is when they were really starting to um, implement like positive identification and, and uh, the war was getting more political than it was a war. Um, But there there was still like, you know, a huge threat over there with, uh, with, with terrorists and, and them shooting at us and test testing us for whatever reason. Right. I I remember that whole making bombs and blowing, blowing people the fuck up, you know, like it's like, uh, some the whole positive identification thing and the like win their hearts and minds like made sense, but at the same time, it didn't make sense to the boots on the ground, the people who were the infantry guys who were on the ground, like made sense to all, all these book readers, you know, um, higher ups and all the all these freaking uh, officers, but for the guys on the ground and seeing all this hell firsthand, it's like, you know. In hindsight, yeah, you're like you think about it and be like, yeah, I get it. But at the same same time, you know, you guys, you, you guys aren't the ones waking up with uh, night sweats. And- I remember, uh, and this one still kind of gets me. I was in Afghanistan, and I was uh, that's this is where the positive ID thing was just insane because I was watching a guy who's probably like four hundred meters out, roughly, and. I, I was I was damn good shot, so it's like I, I I don't miss, you know. Like when I go to the range, I'm the trainer at the M4 range. I'm the guy who trains people. I'm the guy who gets the guys who can't shoot to get them to qualify. And uh, I'm watching this guy mm-hmm. through the ACOG, and he's he is like no shit digging, like no shit digging in the ground. And you know, at that time during that point in 2010, 11, before you even shot, you had to ask to shoot. You know, yeah. And I was like, hey, I see this guy. He's digging. Can I engage? You know, and there's like a pause. And they were like negative. And I'm like, what do you mean negative? I'm like, I'm, and then this is, I lost all like bearing on the radio. I was like, I fucking see him digging in the ground. Like I see him put stuff in the floor. Yeah. No, negative, negative. And then what happens after I don't do nothing? Three minutes later, boom, explosion. I lost my shit, dude. I lost it. I lost it. I lost it. Because I was like, I freaking told you guys I could have hit him. I mean, I, and you know I could have hit him, but yet you told me no. And that's when yeah. I feel you with that whole like political aspect of like, oh, well, you got to make sure where for you, it's like you saw the guy had no intent and he was just, and really when they're getting ready to do that, they're dressed in all white, they're clean shaven, they got nice white turban on. Mm-hmm. And you you made that decision of like, hey, you know, I'm positively identified this guy and then you still got in trouble. And then on the flip side, I'm seeing a guy do something and then it still can't do it. So it's like our yeah. hands are tied. And it's like, sometimes it, it's, it's, I think about it sometimes where it's like, dang, I should have just did it. But then at the same time, where would I be at if I would have done, it? if I would have shot him? Yeah. I'd have hit him. But then where would I have been at in what type of situation or sling would I put myself in if I mm-hmm. did that? And it's crappy to even think that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's a, it's a double edged sword too. Cause like uh, on a night, convoy um a night patrol one night like a, a vehicle was getting too close to our convoy and i popped off a a, a warning shot and they stopped then you know because i was doing the laser and they weren't fucking they weren't responding to that i pop off a, war- a couple warning shots on the 50 kale they stopped then but then <laughs> we stopped the convoy and then my freaking platoon sergeant comes up and he asks like what was all that about and i'm like his guy's got way too close for for comfort and he looks down the road and obviously like they stopped we kept going and then we stopped. So it looked like they were further out than what they were. But like, he's like, did you have a negligent discharge? And I'm like, 
no, like, dude, I have to explain to him, like, no, like earlier <laughs> they were closer. They were too yeah. close. To I'm the, I'm the rear truck, you know, and, and who's, and great. Thank God they stopped. And they were just like a regular fucking ended up being regular people out there. Um, because who's to say they weren't. And then they were a V bid and they came in and freaking blew up my whole fucking, you know, the whole yeah. boy, um, or, you know, really hurt somebody in, in our convoy, which isn't what, what you want, you know, I don't yeah. know. War's crazy, dude. Um, that's probably why no. they can't get any of these movies, right. You know? Yeah, no, I know. I mean, they gotta, they gotta glorify it in somehow. And it's like, you know, at the same time, it's like, I get mad at some of them, but at the same time, it's like, you know, they're doing their best, but really all they got to do is just take a moment and go online and reach out to someone like you or me or Drew or Jessica. And they, they still, if you watched her podcast, they butchered her story. Like they tried to say she got the convoy lost. Like mm. She was, she was a PFC. She was a private first class. She wasn't in charge of nothing in that convoy. Yeah. She was just in the, in the chair sitting down. So it's <laughs> like, the truck commander's like, yeah, we're gonna have to take uh, route route green, and she's she's like <laughs> on her in the fucking she's P- maybe we should go blue, you know? Yeah. Maybe we she should was blue. she was even that she was in the back seat, she was yeah. in the back, she was behind the TC, so she really had no say so, and they had no gunner in the truck, so like, <laughs> if they yeah. would have just did their due diligence for just a second, you know, and I think that's what that's when it comes to it, like. And especially with you being like, you know, starting to pedal towards the acting career. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, I think that it's uh, it's good to capture some accurate, you know, stuff. And I know you can't be like super accurate because there's stuff with Hollywood messing mm-hmm. with your hat. <laughs> Just been trying to make sure I look good because I'm an actor now. So I have to oh, I know. Yeah, you know, I see your, you got your headshots and everything. You got, you know, you got to make sure everything is going and... <laughs> But I know I know Hollywood can't do everything to the T that there has to be something wrong. Like with Denzel Washington's movies, his uniform, there always has to be some deficiency because it can't be like spot on. Oh no, that's that's untrue. The the rule is um if you're not in the military, you cannot represent yourself. So as long as your name tape is somebody else's name, that that's all that needs to be wrong with it. All of that a lot of people hear that and I, I don't know who started it. I guess, I don't know. Whoever started that was trying to make an excuse for why their movie isn't accurate. You know, like you're already, the actor's already playing somebody that's not themselves. So if Tom Cruise is playing a guy named Bill Cruise, they need to change the last name Cruise. So people don't, so he's not technically wearing the same name tape as himself. Um, And then again, I could be wrong about that, but I I don't think I am. Um, So so there. I just don't, I just don't want to see. I'm just sick of seeing guys play soldiers just because their dads made a name for themselves in Hollywood, like Mel Gibson's son and Clint Eastwood's son, because both of them in that movie, what was it, out, uh, outward or freaking, what was the name of that movie that they were in? Fucking both of them together. Yeah, yeah. Their son, um, not them. It was their son. Yeah, yeah. The son. No, I, I'm, yeah. no, I don't think I've seen that one. Or something like that, or. Uh, not outside the wire, right? No. No, that's a different movie. What movie is? What movie am I thinking? It's uh, got. Uh, it's got freaking um, the uh, the dude that played Legolas. He's in it for like a little bit. He's the captain and dies, and then somebody else dies, and it's based on a true story. Um, where where they had a, a outpost in the middle of a valley. Oh wait, um, was it on Netflix? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
I think I've seen that one now. That now that you say it like that, outpost in like a valley. Maybe. So ah shoot, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I I can't put the name, but I remember I actually watched it with my fiance. We were watching it. I thought that the st- the story was okay, but like some of the characters, I was like, mm, you know, I I try to be open to military movies, you know, because I try I try to at least put myself in the perspective of like okay, and try not to like ding everything that goes on. Well, the the movie was overall good because the story was based on a true story and i'm sure that they, they, they had the military advisors there the people who were, were in that story there uh who survived but i just you know i just get a little a little salty when i see mel gibson's son playing a role just because his dad made a name for himself in the in this industry yeah <laughs> dad, just because my dad went a wall you know <laughs> whatever i can't i can't get my break yeah, you do an AWOL movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what. Yeah, I but think. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know like what you said about like the name tape being wrong because I like I try. I watched Denzel Washington's movies when he's like when he does military movies in his uniform. You see it, and I'm looking. I like pause it. I'm in there looking at the ribbons. I'm like, no, all that shit's in order. Devices <laughs> are correct. Like I'm looking, and I'm like, this. I'm gonna get something with him, and I'm like, there's gotta be something wrong. But I didn't mm-hmm. know it was the name tape. I mean, I I, I just dismissed that because I knew like. That was just what that was. So I thought maybe they were just doing that, like with, uh, um, like how if they were doing uh, based on true events, where they use that person's name if they're allowed to or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, no, yeah. Like that per- like, so if I was playing like uh, one of the Medal of Honor recipients or anything, it's just as long as their name tape is on me of my likeness and face and body, that's fine. I just can't wear a uniform that says Graber on it. So if there's right. like for, for whatever reason I'm auditioning and the guy like whatever writer was like, yeah, I'm gonna make this soldier named Graber, like I'd be like, <laughs> it would have to change that name um because that's my last name. So I can't represent huh. the military because I'm not act- active duty anymore. Well, there you go, people. For those acting, we just learned something new here because I didn't know. I, I mean I knew, but I didn't know at the same time. So like that that's a good piece of information there, especially for people who want to get into the acting business. Um, so we're going to go now from, uh, and this is one of the key things I always hit on is the transition from active to civilian. I know for me, it was very hard. Um, my unit that I was with tried to give me two weeks to medically retire from the army, which was, uh, not good. Uh, and they just, I was trying to get into the WTB and the Sergeant major at the time said, I'm not broken. So I don't belong in WTB even though I was diagnosed as a type one diabetic, which is a everlasting condition. Technically I am broken, you know, cause my pancreas doesn't work. But, uh, so that was a struggle. And then what the lady, and she was amazing. The lady at the soldier for life center, she told me to come pick up my clearing papers the day I'm supposed to sign out. That's what she told me to do. Cause then that'll then, because what happens is, is I miss my final out date and then it gets sent straight to the post commander on why I'm not out of the army. And then they had to explain all that. So, and they didn't want to give me terminal leave either. So there was that. So it was a whole mess. So it's like some have it good, some not so much. So how was yours like? Um, well, I, I got out in 2012 and I, uh, I wanted to do something different. You know, I, fi- I figured it was time um, to get out and not, not continue to serve or whatever. Um, I had a buddy who I talked into joining the military from Buffalo and he was still in. He's still in at this point. Uh, my buddy Dave and we both 
kind of grew up in uh, poor neighborhoods in Buffalo or whatever. So joining the military was, was a good route for both of us. Obviously we, we, we were, we weren't going to be going to college or anything like that without, you know, the military. Um, and obviously there was a huge, you know, call, call of duty with, uh, with nine 11. But when I got out, he, he was still in and he was stationed in Savannah, Georgia, uh, not Hunter, but the other one, Stuart. And, um, he kept calling me and hounding me, man, because he knew that I was getting out. And he's like, what's your plan, man? You got to have a plan. You know what they say? And I was like, I don't, I don't really know. Like, I'm going to figure it out. And uh, I did like an audition in Buffalo and um, was starting to get in, into acting and, and kind of liked it. And he was like, why don't you, you know, why don't you go to school? And I'm like, I don't want to go to school with a bunch of like kids that are, you know, they don't have any life experience or anything like that. But uh, he was like, you're an idiot. You're like, use your GI bill. Go to school. Right? And I'm like, man, yeah, I don't know. And then he called me like a week later, asked for my social security number and stuff like that. And I was like, what, what are you talking about, dude? Like, what do you need that for? And he's like, trust me, man. I'm like, you're not going to put me back in the military, are you? What are you doing? Um, and he's like, no, man, just give me, give me it. So I gave him all, all my information that he asked for. And then another week passes and he's like, hey, dude, uh, pack all your shit. You're moving in with me. Um, Savannah, Georgia. I'm in Pooler. I got you into Savannah College of Art and Design for performing arts. So I was like, what? Because like at one point he, he asked me to do like a self-tape or whatever. And I was like, well, what's this for? He was like, oh, no, something's shooting down here. But he was just like lying to me. He was trying to get me into school. He was like, <laughs> he was like use your GI Bill. You get paid to go to school. And I'm like, ah. So I ended up packing my stuff, moving in with him. Um, ended up transferring school to USC uh, cause, so I could be in L.A. and stuff like that. So, um, and like, I mean, like the transition of school, like going to school with a bunch of kids that don't really understand. Like I got the, you know, the cliche questions of like when they, people found out that I was a military, like, Oh, you ever kill anybody? And it's just like, I would shut that down so quick. It's just like, never ask anybody that in the military. Okay. Okay. Cause like, even if you you're lucky and you find, uh, or even if they haven't, like it's, it's just a disrespectful thing. And coming from somebody who, who has like, it's yeah. more disrespectful. Okay. I don't want to exactly, obviously something you're not equipped to, uh, to discuss. Uh, so go fuck yourself. But, <laughs> but I know yeah, for, that uh, happened to me at Portland state university. It was the first semester and it was my first class. And I had, um, I had my service dog with me and they asked me, it was, a, it was a, it was a woman. It was a girl. And she goes, um, I just wanted to know, have you killed anybody? And I was still kind of not in that right mind. I was still kind of like just really going through trauma and stuff. And I just looked at her and I said, yeah, do you want to be next? And she just, <laughs> she went and she went and sat down in the chair. And then as, as soon as I said it, I was like, fuck, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whoop. And I just yeah. turned around. I was like, I just put my hands. I was like, I'm sorry. And she was just like, she went like that, you know, and she put her hands up like, mm, it's okay, you know. But go ahead. Sorry, I had to chime that in there because it made me think of that. I totally forgot yeah, about that until you brought that up. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, I mean, like, yeah, the transition was tough. Uh, trying to fit in with the with, with the dramatic arts, other dramatic arts students who were like, you know, eight or how are they? Like, yeah, like eighteen, eighteen to twenties and stuff like that. And um, I, I was like twenty, twenty six to twenty eight or something like that when I started school. Um, yeah, it, it was just I don't know, man. Uh, I had trouble fitting in. I, I auditioned for a few of their improv troops or whatever, and um, ended up not getting into, into those. Ended up so. I mean that 
that just drove me to start my own. And then I started my own improv troupe. Uh, I did make a few, a few friends who I'm still in contact with from USC uh, who are out here like hustling to. And I, I guess that's like, that's, that's where more of the respect comes from is like you, you meet people, doesn't matter what age they are, but like you, you respect like their hustle and, and they're there for the right reasons. They're not there because, you know, their parents are paying their way through school and, yeah. you know, um, and some people, I don't know, there are a couple that their parents were paying their way and they were, they were kind of okay. But yeah, like, uh, I don't know. Um, I think that's the struggle too. Like when, when you're transitioning from the military is like you, when you're in the military, you, you have your mission, you have your purpose. It's like laid out right in front of you. And then when you're trying to figure it out on your own, you have to figure out, figure it out on your own, you know? So I've suffered um, a huge depression and I obviously have PTSD from uh, the things that I've experienced, but I sought out the help, you know, and even like going, going through seeking out the help is like, a struggle within itself um, and a, a huge like the journey and, and hurdle that you have to, you have to like see through um, because like there is good help out there. Obviously the VA gets a lot of, a lot of shit, but it really, it depends on that VA, like the Buffalo VA when I got out and went straight there because I, I needed help and assistance, they were very accommodating and, and, and very like professional and really there were people there that want to help vets. Um, when I moved to Savannah, Georgia, uh, they they sucked there. Um, Atlanta <laughs> wasn't good at all. Uh, I think I had a stop, a pit stop in Texas that I, I didn't have good experience. Out here in LA, the West LA VA um, is bad, and it's still bad. Unfortunately, I only know that because like Drew recently went, um, and uh, he said it, it was it was bad. But that so when I was finally. I had a counseling like set up for the West LA VA and I'm sitting there and they're like, they're like, Oh, we're going to send you to building 405 because they specialize with OAF, OEF vets. And you know, they, they try to get you in and out quicker. And I'm like, all right, cool. That's, that's good. Cause a lot of, a lot of times you go to the VA and you're sitting around for hours. Um, the person that I had the uh, appointment with, she, she was my, uh, supposed to be my counselor. Don't remember her name because I never got to see her. Because she was like, hey, I'm going to be late coming from this other building. So I'm sitting there knowing she's going to be late. So I'm like, all right, uh, I could, I can like control any anger or whatever right now because I know she's going to be late. But then the phone starts ringing. And with each ring, my fucking anxiety just like increased because there's three people sitting on the other side of that freaking desk. And like on the ninth ring, somebody, somebody finally like just says, hey, should I get that? And the other one's like, no, just let it go. And I flipped the fucking table, dude. I fucking snapped. I'm like, you need to fucking answer the phone. What? The, what do your fucking job. How fucking hard is it? There's probably a vet that's going to kill himself right now. And that, that blood's going to be on your hands. And I stormed out. And then I got a phone call while I was in my car from the counselor I was supposed to meet. She was like, you're late. I was like, fuck you. You're fucking late. Hung up the phone. <laughs> um, I have a few buddies out here who uh, I served with in the Rakasans. I called one of my buddies, Louie, who was working at the VA, too. Uh, and I was like, hey, man, freaking... I don't know. Just I explained that all that that just happened to him. He's and he he recommended me to go seek out Bill at the the um, Culver City Vet Center. He's like, it's a vet center. It's just, they, all they do is counseling there. Go ask for Bill. He's my counselor. He's the he's a Vietnam vet. He's seen some shit. So it's not gonna it's not gonna feel like counseling. And 
he uh, he was the one that recommended me to go to Long Beach. He's like, it's a it's a bit of a drive, but trust me, it's it's worth it's worth every freaking minute. Because um, you go in, and like I went there, and it's like night and day between all of the other bad ones that I've been to. Like I walked in the first time to do the transition or whatever, and they have like. The, the Long Beach VA has a bunch of like volunteers and stuff. And if you look lost, you get approached by one of the volunteers. Like, Hey man, uh, where's the appointment at? I'm like, Oh, um, what? Oh, it's, I have to go to see this person. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll take you over there. I'll walk you there. I'm like, what? what? You guys are taking care of me. I don't know. I don't know how to feel anymore. It's, I'm not used to this. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. So yeah, it depends on the VA. Like I know a lot of, of vets, vets out there are like not, not willing or wanting to go to the VA because they've heard all of the horror stories, but it, it really depends on the VA and there's Culver set or the, there's other vet centers sporadic throughout that are funded by however freaking they get their funding and uh, they have counseling available and they have good counselors out there. Um, it's just a matter yeah. of going through it. And if you, you find a few bad ones, you know, dump them and try searching for somebody else or let them know like, Hey, like I need to speak with somebody different cause you're not doing it for me. Um, but yeah. No, yeah, that's, uh, that's true. Um, and I had that experience and I, I go to, I went to uh, two VAs here in Oregon. I went to the, uh, Oregon or the Hillsboro VA, which was horrible. Um, I was my first appointment. It was supposed to be a 60 minute intake and the appointment was booked for me. The therapist, the, the counselor came out and told me it was my fault that I didn't make a 60 minute appointment. I, I, I threw my drink at her. It was sterile from a cup. I threw it at her and I walked out of the VA. Yeah. I said, how the fuck was I supposed to know it was a 60 minute appointment? Boom. I threw it and I was like, fuck this place. And I went to my car and I was like screaming in the car because I was like, I was just got out and I like was, I was losing my crap. You know, like it was, it was, it was hard. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the Portland VA, and I got, they're they're all right. They have their ones that you got to find. And um, the one lady I was seeing, uh, she was it was like a PTSD therapist, um, young Asian lady, didn't have any you know no military experience none. But she was like, all right, so I want to do want you to go to a gas station at nighttime around eleven thirty, and then just hang out there. I was like, I looked at her and I was like, are you wanting me to kill someone? Is that what you want? Like. Do you want me to like hurt someone? She's like, no, it's called exposure therapy. I was like, I know what exposure therapy is, but I'm pretty sure that that's not it. Like, and yeah. she's like, I want you to walk around the building and walk around the corners. I was like, you're trying to have me have a flashback or something. Like, what are you trying to do? Like, yeah, I didn't feel comfortable with that at that time because I wasn't there yet. And and then she tried to, and then she called me from her personal phone, left me a message. So I called the number back, you know, because I didn't know who it was because she left me a message. So then. I get a call from one of the vet, the VA people talking about why am I calling a therapist's personal phone number? And I'm like, oh, she called me from that number. Like, what are you talking about? You know? So mm-hmm. like, I had to like, they, they, nothing really happened with that because at first they were like, well, how did you get her number? And I was like, well, I showed it to him. I was like, look, she called me from the freaking, her number, you know, I showed her my phone and they were like, oh, okay. And then that was it. But yeah, it's like you're saying, dude, it's like you have to sometimes you just got to keep trying. And I spoke with a cool Marine uh, captain. She she was out. She had some experience of trauma and she's at uh, the vet center in uh, Salem. She's on point. I like her. Um, I talked to her like a year ago and she I don't know if she's still there, but she helped me get through some tough times. because She was pretty good. Like the vet centers are really, really good. And for those who don't know, 
uh, like how Justin was saying, the vet centers are where it's at. Um, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a very welcoming, homey environment. Um, so now my next question is for you is, is I'm, I don't know if you had this question, but how did you and Drew meet? Um, we met on Hollywood Boulevard, actually. So like, jeez, <laughs> yeah, uh, I saw him and like, I remember to, I remember like seeing some of his videos in the past or whatever. And I, I couldn't remember his name when I saw him. And I was like, so I kind of fanboyed him and I was like, oh, oh, uh, uh, a combat veteran. I could tell he, uh, <laughs> he did not want to talk that day. He was like, oh, great. Another one of these guys uh, until we start, we started talking. Cause I was like, oh, what are you doing here? Like, uh. I thought you because I, I thought he lived in Texas at the time. And he was like, "No, man, I, I live like right around the corner now." Blah blah blah. And I was like, "Oh, what are you doing on Hollywood Boulevard?" He's like, oh, "I'm shopping for a sketch I'm doing tomorrow." And I was like, "Oh, oh that'd be cool to help out if I could." But uh, I'm actually I was booked on Tenant, the um, Christopher Nolan film. So mm -hmm. I, I was booked doing background for that. And I was like, "Oh, I could probably get you on if you if you're interested." And he was like, "Yeah, well, uh, let me know, or whatever." And so I was booked the next three days and he was like, he was asking me what I was doing on Hollywood Boulevard and I was shopping for a independent film that I was um, producing and acting and uh, uh, it's not co-writing cause there's three writers. I don't know what you would call that. Um, I, was one of, I was one of three writers for it. That's how you would say it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we started talking about filmmaking and um, I told him a little bit about my story about like, I'm a actor out here and, served and all that stuff and then we exchanged numbers and uh i got released for the tenant thing and i knew that he was filming a sketch that next day so i um i shot him a text I was like hey man i'm available if you need me uh i uh i have lights i could be behind camera if you want like i, I could bring my light kit or whatever and he was like no nah, man it's, you, we don't need no lights just bring a suit and uh and some scrubs because i'll need <laughs> your sketches and i'm like all right cool i got that i'm an actor <laughs> and uh i showed up with my lights and the DP Nick that we use a lot, uh, he was um, he was like, man, it would be nice if we had some lights. And I was like, I got them, I got lights. So he was like, oh, can we use them? Can we set them up? So like, you kind of like saw my work ethic that day and was like, all right, I guess I'm gonna keep this guy around or something. I don't speak for him. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. But yeah, we're roommates now. We we started our own uh, production company, Anthony Ray Productions, where we've done uh, three short films so far: Arisha, Heist, and Spread. Just got finished. Arisha and Heist are both on Amazon Prime. Um, Arisha was the first one that we did. We wrote that while we were, I ended up getting him on Tenet. So we uh, we did Tenet together. It was like 21 days out in Palm Desert. They put us up in hotel rooms and being military, I'm like, oh, I'm going to get there. And, you know, I was like, Drew, hey, if, they, if they're going to bunk us to bunk people, we should tell them we want to bunk together. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Um, but that's not how Hollywood works. They, they kind of operate like the air force and everyone got their own rooms. I had two beds <laughs> myself and I was like, wow, this is great. I'm sad. <laughs> now. Um, this is, this is what it feels like. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. But uh, over, we were off on weekends, but we had to stay out there for, to be on hold. Um, and we got paid for that, which was cool. And we wrote, uh, we started writing Arisha. Drew had the original concept idea for it. He wrote the first draft uh sent it to me and then like we started hashing stuff out and got it to got it to a good place we r started that process and finished it within like four months and there's so many dude like there are so many people out here in la um or all over the world it's so weird like they they like it takes them years to finish a project and this was our first one 
we submitted to a bunch of film festivals that won best horror in a, in a lot of them. Um, Drew won best actor or our, our female actress won best actress. I got a best actor nomination, which was, which was also awesome and humbling. Um, but like, just to know, like the, the first film that we, it's a short film is 20 minutes long. We want to pitch it as a perfect concept, but yeah. it's like, I'm proud of like the work that we've accomplished and spread. We're, we're hoping to get into Sundance um, but that's going to be like a, a monster in, within itself because unless you have like a named actor or named director and we're just like the little guys out here, we're just trying to make it happen, but we're making it happen. So it's like, yeah. and you know, it, it's just about figuring it out and like finding the people that you click with. Uh, Cause you know, I, I have experiences where I've, I've tried to get a, a project off the ground. Actually the one that um, the one that I was filming when I met Drew we we were just about to start filming. That one just got finished. Um, and it's like, like there's all these excuses that came up and, and, and whatnot, but it's like, but with that one too, like it felt like I, I couldn't like, I, I didn't have enough say in like what was happening. And at, at one point I was just like, you know what, I need to wash my hands of this and let, let these two other people who, who want to take this, um, take this project and let them finish it and let them figure it out because anything that I'm, I'm bringing to the table, I'm getting shut down. Which right. sucks. Uh, but that's how some people work, man. Some people have, um, it's all about their ego and, and they're not thinking mm-hmm. about like what's best for the project. And this, this project I think will be good. Um, I think good decisions were made, but the fact that I was one of the producers on it, but didn't have a say in the editing and, and stuff like that. It's like, or I had very little st- say it's, it's just the right. best like some people work better together than others and, yeah yeah and you yeah, experienced that in the military too yeah 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 and i know it was funny uh, i actually had a um i did a little um i won't call it acting but uh i auditioned when i was stationed in hawaii to be uh on hawaii 50 for um steve mcgarrett's uh double and i got the part because i dressed up like him but because of this right here they mm. told me no you know, because I have all this oh, color yeah. going on over here. Crap. Huh? They could cover that up. That's what I thought, but they didn't <laughs> want to put the work in, and they got someone else. But then when I saw the guy, I was like, oh, shit, okay, he looks better. You know, like, I, I give the credit where it's due. I was like, okay, that, that guy looks like him. Then I, they ended up making me a, a one of the bad guys that were all black. I was, like, one of the ones who was, like, the main attackers and then got killed, and then they he pulled the mask off my face, and I'm sitting there, like, playing dead. So I thought that was my little kind of thing. And then here's the frustrating part. After I got out of the Army, um, that was in like late 2017. I got out March 2018. I medically retired. Then two months after that, the same company calls me because they want me to be one of the main stars for like three episodes in Hawaii. And I was like, son of a bitch. I was like, I'm not there no more. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that, that was, that's my. Give them my number. I'm here. I'll take all your <laughs> No, that was my short uh, acting career. It started, ended, and it was like, oh no! So that, that's my short little uh, piece there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, uh, as we wrap it, as we wrap it up here, it's already been forty five minutes. Surprisingly, I didn't even realize. Um, yeah. I just wanted I wanted to see if you had uh, a message for the vets here watching. Um, kind of like I call it a closing statement. Basically, a message from you to them you know, to kind of help them persevere, push through, um, 
And uh, oh, side note, my fiance wrote on here that movie's called The Outpost, by the way, because we oh, were yeah. talking about it earlier. She mm-hmm. wrote it on there, The Outpost. So kudos to her. Um, <laughs> but yeah. uh, if you have a message for these um, guys and gals, veterans, right. wives, you know, who struggle, um, what what message you got for them? If you can, you know, you want to tell them anything. Um, you're gonna you're gonna have dark days, man. You're gonna have depressing days where you don't want to get out of bed and stuff like that, and like that that sucks, but it, it's also okay. And, um, in my experience, like uh, I've, I've struggled with like suicidal thoughts and I've even like held, held a razor to my fucking wrist. But like in my experience, the, the only thing or person that can like really intervene with, with those times is yourself, you know, like, um, yes, have, have your friends, have your close group of friends that you want to reach out to. Like all, all my friends from that second deployment, uh, I think there's like 10 of us in a group chat and, we all have a pact not to, not to, you know, do that to, to ourselves. Um, and if we find ourselves in that dark place to, to use it like an alert roster and start calling each person down that line. And for whatever reason, 10 people don't a- answer their phone, then go ahead and, you know, pick up that 1-800 number. It sucks. Nobody want, wants to call that 1-800 number. That's why you got 10 chances right before <laughs> you get there, you know, and if, if they don't pack, pick up, it doesn't mean they don't care. You know, people get, bu- people get busy. Um, but that that goes to say also what I was saying before, like it falls back on it falls back on you. Like uh, you can you can be in a rut and it's raining and the cloud is right on top of you and all your friends are throwing you the rope or whatever. But it's up to you to grab that rope, you know, um, yeah. nothing, nothing out here is is easy, uh, but nothing worth worth it is isn't easy. Right. Um, anything you want to do, just, you know, set your mind to it, make, make, a, make, make small goals, um, have that small goal to get out of bed every day for 30 days. It takes 30 days to, to create a habit. So, you know, um, do it, man. Like, uh, and, and reach out, reach out for help when you need it too. Cause life's 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 already short as it is. Why, why make it any shorter, you know, for yourself? You, you yeah, know, no, I think I that's, you got, that's you good, man. Push, you know. Yeah. No. That's uh. That that's that's a spot on message right there, man. Um. Then there's a big network. It's like you said. Just because someone doesn't answer doesn't mean they don't care. I mean, they just might not have their phone with them, and you, you'll know who your true friends are is if they call you back. Those yeah. are the ones you keep in your phone. And yeah, it's okay. A few hours pass, something like that, maybe half the day. But if a whole day goes by, you know. You better have a damn good reason why they didn't call you back. You know, if if, if you're relying on them, uh, in in that type of of aspect, you know, like there has to be a good reason. You just can't pass the judgment right away that they don't care, um, because you don't know what they're going through. Maybe maybe they're in that same moment as you, and they just can't talk. Yeah. So, so there's that too. Um, but yeah, that was that was awesome, dude. Um, I appreciate you for coming on, and you know, I know you busy schedule you got a bunch of things going on and the, I, well, i'm looking forward to see what projects you and uh drew come up with uh probably check out some of that stuff i saw the orisha movie but i didn't know about heist um yeah so best I'll, I'll, way to find heist, uh, yeah best way to find heist is to get on amazon and like just in the search bar search justin graber or or drew drew anthony um because there's so many other movies called heist already um yeah yeah Arisha, I think you could find just by typing in Arisha, but also if you just type in one of our names, it'll it'll pop up. 
Um, they're up there for, for, you have to purchase them because we spend a lot of money on them and that's, that's how movies work. We can't, we yeah. can't make everything for free. Um, <laughs> we did, we did really, uh, what was it? The, the successful possession and attempted exorcism of Charlie Rockbottom on YouTube, uh, for Halloween last year. That was a, that was a funny one that we put a lot of money into and, um, <laughs> it turned out good. And we were going to put that, we thought about putting that on Amazon, but we didn't want to, um, we don't want to have anything like comedy on Amazon. We want to like, mm-hmm. we're, not, we're trying to establish ourselves in a, in another, like another category almost, you know, it's like it, we, we are taking acting seriously. Um, I, I went to school for it. I, I studied theater. I have a BA in theater from USC. Uh, Drew's pretty natural at it. Uh, he's, he's pretty good. He's, he's come a long way. Um, in the one year that I've seen him grow too. Yeah, he, so. he cracks me up. He's funny. Oh yeah, he he's, he's good with his serious stuff too, man. Um, he's yeah. got he's got the scene in Spread where uh, where he he really freaking he he does it, man. It's like it's it's cool it's cool watching him. It's cool watching yeah. him. And you could tell him too. Um, he actually did a song called "Break Me Out," and that song actually got me through a really tough time. Um, yeah, he's got he's got another song uh, coming out soon that's really that, that hits hits the nail on the head. It's it's in Spanish though. Um, oh, but it's it's fucking it's even even then it's still good. You can tell his uh his emotions are there and it's uh his message is coming through. But That's cool. yeah. I speak Spanish. I'm I'm Cuban, so I, I'll I'll understand yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I I understand like uh little parts of it because because I had lazy lazy teachers at USC that <laughs> weren't strict enough for me to learn Spanish. So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Let them know that song. Break me out. That song got me through a really critical point. Like I, and I stumbled across it. I probably watched it like six times in that, that day. And it, mm-hmm. uh, and it definitely, uh, definitely helped. That's for sure. So to him, you know, and, and not just him, other people who have like those things where you just stumble across, you know, like it's, it's great to have those, you know, cause then you save it and I have it saved on my Facebook little videos tab, wherever the hell that tab is now in the settings, yeah. Facebook changes everything, but I have it <laughs> saved there because, it was a song that got me through a critical part of uh, life. And uh, mm-hmm. that's just the impact that, you know, that we try to do. He did that. And, you know, you guys are doing stuff with acting, inspire, expi- inspiring veterans to get out there and pursue acting, you know, like maybe yeah, this will inspire someone to be an actor. Yeah. We're writing and producing all, all of these are ourselves too. So it's like um, writing is, uh, is something that I enjoy a lot too. Drew, Drew's really good at writing as well. Uh, but yeah, like create your own opportunities. That's another thing that like uh, a message I could give out to people like being an actor with, with all the training that I have, I got sick of going on all all these auditions, you know, left and right and being told, um, Hey, like, yeah, you're on a veil, which means it's, uh, it's between me and one other guy or maybe two other guys and then not, not landing the part at all. It's like, it's frustrating after a while. Right. So like, I started uh, doing sketches on my own. Um, you could check those out at on, on YouTube. Pretty not bad. Pretty not bad is one word, and then entertainment. If you if you search that in uh, in YouTube, like those will come up. And those are all like co-written by me and some other people. And you know, we just got together and started doing those sketches. And they're they're I think they're pretty funny. I, I don't know. You, you can you, you guys can comment. You can guys can check them out. <laughs> I think my favorite one is We Got a Rat. It's really, really, really good. I play like <laughs> I'll check them out because you guys do funny stuff. So I'll I'll, ch- I'll check them out. I like your guys' work, especially you guys partner together with the other um the other guy who's always your guys' platoon star. And he 
you you three are 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 pretty pretty good little trio. You guys crack me up. Like my yeah. fiance and I will see your stuff and like, oh hey, look, they got a new one. Let's watch this one. You know, and it's yeah. just Drew with his damn hair cracks me up because then he just looks lost and he's just like he just yeah. looks lost all the time and it's hilarious because you can that, relate to that to people that in the army. Yeah, he plays that private role, role real good. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, as uh, before I get cut off here, um, I just want to say thanks for coming on, dude. Thanks for taking the time to speak. Um, everybody, thanks for tuning in. This will be uploaded on YouTube, IGTV. Um, you can follow Justin on uh, here on Facebook. You can follow him on YouTube. You type in his name, he'll come up. He's got a whole little social medias, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, IMDB, some acting something else thing. I've seen he's got all these little blocks in his little email that I get from him. So you, oh, you yeah. type in his name. It, the, their name is unique. So if you type it up in Google, it's going to come up because, you know, it's spelled oh, yeah. J. Yeah, Google so, it. And see a lot of terrible things that I went through. In the last <laughs> <laughs> so terrible things. Even talk about yeah, that's it. That's so it. If that's you say it. you can't find him, you're he lying. You're full of crap because his name is different. They put my MySpace picture on CNN. <laughs> so, it's all true. <laughs> I, don't, I don't doubt it. You say it, I'm sure it's true. <laughs> no, that, that sucked. <laughs> but um, all right, man. I appreciate you for coming. Thank you everybody for tuning in, and uh, stay tuned for next week because we got a special person coming on next week. His name is uh. Dr. Bradley Nelson, he works with the body and emotion code with uh, ener uh, energetic holistic healing. So that's a whole different thing that actually works for me, which is you might want to look into uh, there, bud, because it, it definitely helps with traumas and nightmares and things like, and we can talk offline about what that did for me and completely like transformed my me and how I'm feeling and stuff. And like, definitely helps it helps a lot so if you want more info you let me know and i'll pass it to you but it's definitely uh something to look into for when it comes to trauma and things like that so so that that's what's coming next week people uh thanks for being easy uh justin thanks for coming on and hope everyone has a good evening <laughs>